Christine Bentley, and you're listening to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Thanks so much for joining us. Kate Wheeler is currently hiking in Arizona. I'm sure we'll hear all about that next week, but you'll hear her in a few segments throughout the show today. Now, if you're heading down to the Pride Parade in Toronto today, you may actually run into media personality and entertainment host Daniel Pillai, who is our first guest. He's become a voice for people struggling with body image, sexuality, and race, and he is is going to share his personal story about why he celebrates pride with us today. The 16th Annual Female Eye Film Festival is coming up from June 26th to July the 1st. Filmmaker, festival founder, and executive director Leslie Ann Coles is going to tell us about it. And their beloved tagline, always honest, not always pretty, has never seemed more fitting given all the industry revelations of the past year. Musicologist Eric Alper is talking mistakes in songs that you may or may not have noticed in On the Record. And get this, more than 45 Canadian musicians such as Brian Adams, Jan Arden and Carly Rae Jepsen have signed a Canadian flag that is being auctioned off on eBay to raise funds for the Gord Downey Fund for Brain Cancer Research at the Sunnybrook Hospital. It was all coordinated by big music fest creators Mark and Miriam Higgins, who are going to be here today to tell us more and they are actually bringing the flag, which is pretty cool. I I wouldn't mind having that in my living room. Anyway, we are also going to talk to Christina Bizantz, the CEO of Chats. That is a not-for-profit organization that currently supports more than 8,300 York Regent and South Simcoe seniors and caregivers each year. And singing us out in our live studio sessions today, we have Mississauga singer-songwriter Gabri. So don't forget to follow us on social media at What She Said Talk and make sure you go to our website at whatshesaidtalk.com and enter to win a free Healthy Home Assessment worth $100 from Healthy Home Makeovers. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. This is 1059 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest, and lovable. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, happy Pride Month, everybody. If you are heading down for the parade in Toronto today, we hope you have a fantastic time. We are now joined in studio by media personality and entertainment host Daniel Palais. Yes. I finally got this right. <laughs> I've never been saying Palais, Palais, who has really become a voice for minorities on the world stage. Welcome back to the show. We haven't seen you for a while. Where have you I been? Know, what you have you been doing? Me. I've been, you know... Living with pride. Let's say that. Living with pride? Oh. Absolutely. Well, it's an event that shares a timeless message of celebrating diversity and community. And like so many people, you were bullied for being gay, mm-hmm. but have since overcome the unjust standards that had been set by society. Um, I was reading an article about how you were called a he-she in grade two. Mm-hmm. Is that where it started for you, where you... You know, there comes a point where you say, enough, like, I'm going to do something about this. Well, I I don't even think I had that maturity to think like that in grade two. I think that's the first time I really became aware of myself and my feminine characteristics that were inviting a lot of, you know, hateful comments in my family and outside of my family, like in school. So I think at that point you're referring to in my life was really a moment where I, I started to realize there was something about me that people didn't agree with. Yeah. Or that you were different. Or that and, I was different, yeah. And that yeah. for whatever reason, that was not a good thing. Yeah. Was it traumatic? It was. Because, um, 
you know, my mom is the youngest of 14 kids, so I grew up in a very big family with a lot of cousins. And a lot of the bullying that happened in my family was from older male cousins who were the epitome of, you know, what it was to be an alpha male. And then there I was with feminine characteristics. And I was always made to feel like I didn't fit in. And so it was very traumatic because when you don't fit in, you're sitting on the outside, you're constantly asking yourself, you know, what is it about me that's so different? You know, and it's uncomfortable. And a lo- and that discomfort is unset. Like when you walk into a room, even till this day, when I walk into a room, I have my backup because I'm, I'm assessing out the energy of the room to see if it's somewhere where I can really just kind of let loose or if it's going to be a place where I have to have my guard up. And that's happened ever since I was a child from all these bullying experiences. I haven't unshaken that. But has have things not improved, Daniel? I mean, do we not have a spirit of inclusion? or I mean, I, my children don't see sex they don't see mm-hmm. gender they don't see color they don't they see good people mm-hmm. they see a warm heart a kind they see kindness they recognize do you know what i mean yeah. as has nothing changed? I think things have changed. I think things have definitely improved. I think a lot of what I'm referring to is my own internal, um, I could say, repercussions of that bullying. But I think the world is a better place than it was when I was in grade two. Um, you know, my sister, she's five years younger than me. She grew up with an innate understanding of the LGBTQ community. It was a part of the society she grew up in. It wasn't any different than who she was as a person. Now, and, what about culturally? Yeah. Do you think there are differences in, in certain cultures where it's less uh, less inclusive, more inclusive? Oh, I mean, I think that's the reason why there are so many differences in um, what we consider right or wrong when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Um, what about I, your family? I, my family, when I speak about my family, culturally, they my mother told me she never knew what it was to be gay or who, what it was if a man was gay or a woman was gay. What is the LGBTQ community? She had no idea until she migrated to Canada. And that's because the world around her told her that the world worked in a very particular way. It's a man, woman, and that's how you live your life. So she was open to understanding about that community. But I couldn't expect her to unlearn that. She was 52 when I told her that I was gay. So culturally, it's very rigid. You know, it still is till this day. I mean, homosexuality is a crime. It's a criminal act in India, you know. So p- people are being killed for being gay. They're being, um, you know, put in prison for being gay. So culturally, it's there. Religiously, no. I think people use a lot of cultural um, standards to kind of justify how they feel about the LGBTQ community. But I think even till this day, I mean, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable around very conservative groups. In my yeah. family, you know, it could be the seniors, it could be the elders, it could be those who are very, you know, culturally um, close-knit, those communities. I am uncomfortable because I know their discourse doesn't allow a space for me. You know, I still may sit in the same room as them, but I don't always know what they're thinking and how they feel about me. And while I don't care, it's still discomforting to be in a place like that. Exactly. Yeah. So you obviously must have gone through a stage where you did suppress. Oh, yes. Yeah. And how long did that go on? And when, and, and tell us about the journey where, at, at which point you said, now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready to embrace who I am. And mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's a little complicated for me because I, I came out when I was 25 years old. You know, I'm 33 today, so it wasn't that long ago. And... I suppressed my sexuality for a very long time because I didn't really know who I was. Uh, my, my parents were caught in a very unhappy marriage. So my household was just not a very happy one. Um, you know, I was sexually abused growing up. Um, the oh way I dealt goodness. with that, there was a lot of sort of emotional, mental abuse happening in the household. How did I deal with all of that? I ate. You know, I just I just ate a lot of good food. Now I eat because I enjoy food. But then I ate it because that's how I dealt with life. And then somewhere amongst all of that. That was your self-medication. Yeah. But amongst all of that, there was the question of my sexuality, which I never addressed or questioned because it was buried under so many other things. So by the time I entered university and you're entering into an exclusive space, inclusive space, um, they've got, you know, groups, support groups for the LGBT community. There's so much acceptance and Mm -hmm. love. It was in that atmosphere that I started to feel very comfortable and Mm -hmm. that sort of ushered in, you know, my new identity and that's how I came out. Um, Do you think it's important now 
to have a month dedicated to Pride? You know, I think every day should be dedicated to Pride. But I think, you know, going from a week to a month is a, a good thing. It allows more time to have um, more conversations, to get, you know, more media segments out, to get more events out, to create more awareness. And it, it gives people the opportunity, especially those families living in the suburbs, to find some time in their busy schedules to come out and celebrate a community that they probably love. And I think... Um, the whole point about having a month around it is to really sort of engage those who are not part of the community to really understand what our community is about. It really is about love and acceptance and celebrating who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what shape or color you are. Um, you don't have to be gay to be a part of the LGBTQ celebrations. It's no, about you have to no. be who you are. That's what it is. I've yeah. always been part of them and they're <laughs> fabulous. Let me ask you, um, do you think there'll ever come a time when we don't have to celebrate I mean, we don't have a a wasp month, mm-hmm. <laughs> so will there be a time uh, when we don't have to we don't have to draw attention to it because it'll just be part of the f- wonderful fabric of of humanity? I think there will come a time, you know, and I I hope that time comes while I'm alive, walking on this earth. I really do. I think that there are still a lot of tough conversations that need to be had. I think there's still a lot of things that need to change. And especially, like I said, with those conservative cultural values across all religions and cultures, there's a lot that needs to be done. But I think we've made such huge strides in the last 10, 15 years, and I can't wait to make even bigger strides. Who knows where we'll be? But I definitely think that time is going to come. Well... Nothing has stopped you. This no. None of this has stopped you. I mean, here you are. I mean, a big celebrity interviewing, you know, Hillary Swank and John Travolta and <laughs> Julianne Moore. And um, if just very quickly in, mm. in one sentence, what advice would you give LGBTQ youth who want to do what you do and who want to, you know, reach for the stars? You have to be comfortable with who you are from a 360 degree perspective because your sexuality is really just a part of who you are. You have to have good relationships with your family. You gotta be comfortable with the way you look, how you speak, how you act, what you eat, who you talk to, how you dress. You have to be comfortable with who you are all around. And that really is going to give you the confidence to be who you are in every aspect of life. And it takes time to get there and take that time to get to know yourself. And who would you tell them to reach out to to get there, to help? There are so many support groups out there, but I think the easiest and the most comforting place is a close friend. I had a lot of close friends growing up, and I turned to them for support. Um, Sometimes just to ask a simple question or to put a simple thought out there. And you know who those people are in your life, and they really, really can help, you know, open up the doors to that world that you're really looking to step into. And if you're comfortable going past your friends, then there are so many support groups and resource centers and hotlines and websites out there that can really support. Or just hit me up. I'm always good on my DMs on my social media. Just hit me up. I'll help you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One sentence. What's next for you? Well, you know what? I'm working on the Date with Daniel show. So a uh, date with Daniel show is where you get to have a date with me and a little cocktail Ooh. and you get to have some, you know, fun little gossip sessions. Oh, I guess I can't go on that show. Of right? course you can. Of course you can. Can you have a, I'll a hit friend you date? Absolutely. Oh, date with Daniel. It's open to everybody. Oh, the idea okay. is you can have a drink with me and it's a date. It's you know? a date? It's an okay. exclusive, oh, okay. inclusive opportunity. Ooh. <laughs> Daniel, all the best. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You. And you're such an inspiration. And if you've been able to overcome all that, I mean, I think it just it just shows lots of people out there that they can overcome whatever they're dealing with, too. Thank so you. I thank appreciate you. that. Thank, thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. 
and accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Passion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. The 16th annual Female Eye Film Festival is coming up from June 26th to July 1st. It showcases high-caliber, thought-provoking, independent films directed by women. And joining us now is filmmaker and festival founder and executive director, Leslie Ann Coles. Welcome back to What She Said. Hey, thank you for having me. So your beloved tagline, always honest, not always pretty, has never (laughs) seemed more fitting given all the unsavory industry revelations of the past year. <laughs> True. True. So tell us about like 16 years. It's a big accomplishment. It is. You know, we're still standing. So that's a good thing. Um, we faced some challenges. We had a funny situation this year where we, we had a venue locked down. Mm-hmm. We moved our dates to the last week in June, and then we lost the venue due to a fire. Oh, no. So last week we were literally scrambling to, to find an alternate venue, which we did, the Carlton. Oh, the right. Carlton Cinemas. Well, that's yes. not that's not a bad little venue to no, have. No, no, we're really excited. They're very supportive of independents and independent filmmakers and festivals, so we're really happy to be there. We'll be at TIFF Bell Lightbox next year, though. That'll oh, that sounds amazing. But for people, let's go back just a okay. minute. For people who think you were pretty, you know, um, ahead of your time, mm-hmm. uh, what made you want to start this? What 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 was the process? The thought process. Well, I was, you know, I'm a filmmaker as well, and Mm -hmm. I was hitting the festival circuit with my debut film, and it screened in about 35 festivals, won about 13 international awards, and I was seeing other women directors, but we were clearly a minority at these international film festivals. There would be maybe five of us to 30 male directors. So it this is back in 2001. Mm-hmm. So it raised a question for me. And the question was, are there so few women directors or are their films not getting programmed? And so that's sort of what begat the initial female, what is now the Female Eye Film Festival. It really wasn't intended on, in my mind, to be an annual event. It was supposed to be a one-time kind of deal. The Female Eye, we showed films directed by women over the course of a weekend at the Bloor Cinema, mm-hmm. which is now the home of Hot Docs. And um, and sort of here we are, 16 years later. Now we're a six-day international competitive <laughs> women's film festival. Yeah. So now, can you answer the question that you asked yourself way back then in 2001? Is it because they're... They're, they weren't showing women's films, or is it that there just weren't any budding women film directors? Well, I think it's. I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. I think one, yes, they they were not showing films directed mm-hmm. by women. That could be because um, the festivals were predominantly at that time run by by males, mm-hmm. and I think there was a perception that if a woman wrote and directed a film, that it was a chick flick. You know, it was a rom-com or it Mm -hmm. was, you know, intended for a femme-centric audience. I mean, we would never say that about a male director. We wouldn't say, oh, you know, Spielberg, his film is for men. You know, like it's just so we were struggling against that for a number of years. And I think the other um, the other issue was that. We're talking about filmmaking being a very expensive endeavor back in the two, you know, late 90s into the mid to um, up to 2005. And so there was the digital mm-hmm. um, filmmaking. So it was very, very expensive. So it took a lot of initiative on the part of a filmmaker to make a film on film. And now we're seeing like a plethora of films shot on digital. And so many are coming to the festival. I mean, we're, we have 12 people watching films now. Okay, l- let's talk about that because you said it's, well, it's Canada's one and only annual competitive mm-hmm. international independent women directors film festival. So exactly what do you mean by competitive? Is it, is it juried to 
enter? Take us through the process. Well, it's juried in that we have film programmers who watch films. We rate the films according to their overall production value, sound, picture, acting, story. Um, and then I watch all of the films that have been pre-selected by my uh, team who preview the films. I also preview about 150 films. And then we kind of call that, and we mine those films for the best films that we can present at the festival. So that's part of the process. And then filmmakers can option to enter their films into competition. So mm -hmm. we give these amazing awards that are hand-welded, one-of-a-kind, engraved. I mean, they're like a foot long. They're big. And uh, Dawson Calvert handcrafts them. They're hand-welded awards. So we give awards for best films in about 16 different categories. And we also give screenplay awards. And I think what distinguishes the female life from other women directors film festivals or women's film festivals is that we show films directed by women. So the woman has to be seated firmly in the director's chair. There's a lot of film festivals across our country, actually, that, um, that show films that can be produced and written by a woman or written and starring a woman. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we, we know that it's usually the director in film anyway who holds the power, the creative power. So, so what can people expect at this year's festival? Well, they're going to see some great films. <laughs> I, I knew that. that. <laughs> yeah, we're, really, we're really excited to be opening with Valerie Bahajar's film, It's Hard to Be Human. It's a great feature film. That's it's the a, opening night gala? Yeah, and we've shown Val's film since 2003. She's a local Toronto filmmaker. She's also an actress and a producer. And we have shown her early, early, early films. And so it's really exciting to be, show, to be showing her. I think this mm -hmm. is her third feature. So really excited about that. And then we're closing with um, Snapchat. It's directed by Melanie Mayron, and it was written by... Um, uh, Janice Caron, and that's out of LA. And then in between that, we have Roxy Sheback with Painkillers, great late night film. She's a real she's a real comer in the industry mm -hmm. in America as one of one of the top um, women directors. Like. Now, yeah. Do you even have time to make films anymore? <laughs> Organizing this huge event? I'm so glad you asked me that. Actually, the last time I was here, I was finishing a film. Yes, you were. Melody yeah. Makers, which then got um, optioned, or it was licensed by CBC. Great. So it was acquired by CBC. And over the last year, I've been touring festivals with it. So it had a screening in London a few times. It's won about eight international awards for best documentary and now I'm finishing another film uh, called My Life, My Community, My Ontario which is kind of um, my film but it's the female eye film so we received some money from the status of women in Canada mm -hmm. that was disseminated through the Ontario Arts Council for organization and artists to create uh, permanent works of art to address the issue of violence against women. Wow sexual violence against women and so we received the creative artist engagement grant and we went up to the Sioux and we work with indigenous and non-native youth 13 to 17 years of age females that went to White Pine Collegiate Vocational School and we um, did a week-long workshop integrated masks and movement and film and photography to create this um, what turned out to be a documentary that I'm finishing right now that we're actually going to present at the female eye as part of an Indigenous filmmaker program. Um, I, was just, I was thinking because yeah. dance is in your background too. Yeah, so that's my, yeah. that, that was a very nice segue for mm -hmm. you then to be able to... Uh, to involve that because mm -hmm. uh, you what you transitioned to film in what 90, late 90s 99? 1999 2000 I moved from the stage and from dance and choreography into filmmaking actually so yeah it's a great marriage between my dance and my love for the integrated arts and for film and also um, speaks to my social activism within the indigenous community in in Canada so what are you most proud of if you take a look back over the last 16 years what am I most proud of? That is such a good question. I know I should say something about my children. Um. Okay, we can we'll take that as a given. Let's concentrate on the right. festival. What are you most proud of of what you've been able to create through this festival? I am very proud of the fact that we've been able to um, premiere uh, some really fantastic debut filmmakers whose shorts we presented, like Anna Valine and mm -hmm. Valerie Bahajar and... I mean, there's so many, and watch them grow 
as filmmakers. So we've we've seen their shorts, we've had their screenplays as part of the script development program. Some have come back to us as fully produced uh, feature films. So I'm very, very proud of that. I'm proud that we've kind of journeyed with a number of filmmakers across North America and also abroad and nurtured, I feel in a way, sort of nurtured and encouraged their careers as filmmakers. And the significance of being part of TIFF? Well, that's really cool. So I had a meeting with Cameron Bailey back, I guess it was around Christmas time, and we were invited to, uh, we had a meeting about the female eye, and I said, we are a nomadic film festival. We are tired of being nomadic and having to move around from all these different venues. And he said that he was going to have his team sort of look at strategically at the festivals they're supporting, and, um, and came back to us and said, the female eye film festival is something that TIFF should be supporting. Absolutely, so. and that's awesome. Now, people uh, you can learn more about the festival and get tickets on the website, mm-hmm. which is female eye film festival dot com. Mm-hmm. And again, it's June 26th, starts this week, and to July 31st at the Carlton Cinema. Leslie Ann Coles, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com tc or call 416-340-7270. This is 105.9 The Region. What she She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now for On the Record is musicologist Eric Alper, and today we are talking about mistakes, mistakes. made in songs. How can that be? Well, mistakes. You know, mistakes is it's really art. my, my is middle it, name. Is it is it mis- <laughs> a mistake or is it just art? It it's uh, a happy mistake. Oh. it would be a sad happy. So, in the words of um, in the words of Family Ties, it would be Bashappy. Bashappy. There you go. <laughs> That's right. So, what's the mistake in the Beatles' A Day in the Life? Um, the the mistake is is that they got this guy Paul McCartney to write his songs. No, I'm only kidding. No. Yeah. No. Um, there is a squeaky shoe that you can hear quite clearly in the Beatles' masterpiece <laughs> A Day in the Life because that song was complicated enough. You had an orchestra of forty members. You had a seven minute song that you had to produce and then Ringo Starr decided to just slightly shift positions during one of the playbacks and you could hear his shoe to starting to squeak and of course it happened <laughs> just when the sound was nothing and you can hear a pin dropping and if you listen quite closely to the song especially on CD not on some music streaming services you can hear it because that's where it gets picked up the most. So why wouldn't they fix that? Because they're the Beatles. And because everything they do is genius. Because it's genius. Which, which plays into Christine's comment. Uh, yeah, It's genius. It's genius. There you That's go. That's right. Led Zeppelin. So Led Zeppelin's Black 
count, uh, black country woman was actually recorded outside in Robert Plant's uh, garden. And uh, it's a kind of simple, quietish kind of a song. But in the version that is on 1975's Physical Graffiti album, you can clearly hear an airplane flying overhead. It turned out that maybe the engineer or producer didn't get the flight patterns for his area. And the song was recorded um, with that sound in there. And uh, the band decided to leave it in because it gave this, the track a little bit more ambience and a little bit more nature sounds of everything outside, even though that it was from a large me- metallic hub that's floating <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> Okay, that is The Who, and actually, I I never really understood the lyrics for this one, and now I, I'm looking at this and going, maybe it's because they got them wrong. <laughs> exactly. It's really tough to figure out what somebody is singing when they may not even know what they're singing in the first place. So we all know that Roger Daltrey, the lead singer, had a stuttering performance on My Generation, mm-hmm. which started off as being a little bit of an in-joke, but they kept it in. Um, but bad timing on the chorus of Eminence Front was an entirely different matter. Pete Townsend, the uh, guitarist, enters in a syllable behind Roger Daltrey at roughly the 240 mark of the song, and they appear to sing two completely different things. One of them sings its N and an eminence front, and then the other one sings the eminence front. So it's one of those small errors that they decided to keep because it kind of deems a little bit more natural rather than the rigid performance of a band that's been around for 35 years at the time. So, so you think you can tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain uh, and here we have a mistake that became a life-changing moment. Yeah, that's Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. And sometimes, um, in the case of this song, it actually changes somebody's life. And in this case, it was David Gilmore, the guitarist of the band. While he was recording the intro lines to this song, because it's done on an acoustic guitar... David Gilmore was uh, like a two or three pack smoker Uh um, and he let out an accidental cough during the recording of the guitar parts. They decided to leave it in, assuming that the track would have a little bit more of a cool ambience added to it. It turned out that when David Gilmore heard the playback in the studio, he was so aghast that he was coughing so much that he decided to quit smoking right then and there after hearing the song. I got me a Chrysler. My children in their 20s are playing the B-52s, and we were cruising down the road yeah. uh, uh, in a car that yeah. was as big as a whale um, <laughs> and singing the Love Shack <laughs> just the sale. other day. So what's, uh, what's the mistake? Roof. Rest. Oh, that came out of the blue? like Completely was... out of the blue. One of the best parts of Love Shack. Yeah. Um, was an actual mistake. Kate Pearson of the band said that uh, lead vocalist and uh, Cindy Wilson. I love to say that she's the one with the with the giant hairdo, but then they both have hairdos, and then you they know do. you'd be the like red, whatever. The red hair. Yeah, yeah. So Cindy Wilson missed the cue during that song during that part. Um, where they left it in where she sings Tin Roof Rusted. That was supposed to be just space. But because she missed her cue and started (laughs) singing the chorus accidentally they just decided to leave it in and so when she realized she was that it was a mistake the first three words out of her mouth were tin roof rusted for some reason and the band thought that that was hilarious so they left it in and which is the best part of the song i think yeah and and uh, we always let you back in after, uh, right, after right. Talk, about mistakes. talk about mistakes that keep coming back behind everybody never mind us <laughs> always oh, thank you eric thank you so much this is 1059 the region she said. 
Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at WhatSheSaidTalk.com. While Canada continues to mourn the loss of one of its most iconic artists, Gord Downey's peers have lent their signatures to a worthy effort in his honor. Joining us now to tell us more are Big Music Fest creators, producers, entrepreneurs, and musicians, Mark and Miriam Higgins. Welcome to What She Said. Hi, Christine. How are you? And right behind you... Uh, is this amazing Canadian flag. And you went and got more than 45 Canadian musicians to sign it to raise funds for the Gord Downey Fund for Brain Cancer Research at the Sunnybrook Hospital. Uh, Why did you want to do this, and where did you come up with this idea? It actually started in 2008, and I just wanted to correct you on the producing thing. Mark is the producer of Big Music Fest, just a creator, and I'm just a signature collector on this beautiful um, flag, big Canadian flag. It's 31 inch by 72 inches, and I've been collecting for the last six years. And um, after all of this sadness happened, obviously, I couldn't think of a better way to, um, to donate for this great foundation at Sunnybrook um, and donate the flag for this cause. Uh, well, you brought the flag in today. Yeah. We're looking at it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Justin Trudeau, you, I hope you're listening to this because this would be a great thing to buy for the country to have because he's iconic, it's on a Canadian flag, and we need to tell our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, all about who Gord Downey was. Absolutely. But um, tell us some of these signatures and and who they belong to. So it started in 2008 when Mark brought the Tragically Hip to Belleville, and they also played Wyerton in 2009 at the airport in Wyerton, as well as in Bob Cajun in 2011, when uh, pretty much we sold 25,000 tickets in under 10 business days. So we have signatures from the Tragically Hip, of course. Brian Adams is on there. Blue Rodeo, Jen Arden, the Arkells, the list goes on and on, really. So how did you go about getting all these signatures and, and, and putting it all together? That's quite a feat. Well, they were actually performing, Christine, at a Big Music Fest. Mm-hmm. And that's where the bond started. I mean, they literally started my company. They were the first show that I put on, Big Music Fest in Belleville. Sold out, unbelievable. Same with Wyerton the year after and two years later, the Bob Cajun story, which is a universal film right now. It's been out for quite some time. All the guys won Junos for that. But um, being with them, watching them perform and the conversations that happened, because you're there, you're backstage, and it's all about music, and Corb is all, all about music. Then Miriam's idea to get signatures, obviously not knowing what was going to happen, but of all the artists that were opening or playing on the same bill. And then we went on to all the years that, uh, for six years. And uh, we have, I would say, 90% of the best artists in Canada on that flag. Mm-hmm. And the Trudeau thing is magnificent. There's a Yeah, that gave me goosebumps. In Ottawa there. Boy, I hope he's listening. I hope he's yeah, listening, it too. Yeah, hanging there. And I think if he knew about it, I hope he's not too busy doing... That I don't know. You know... Mm-hmm. Anyway, defending himself about... The tariffs. Um, <laughs> about the, about, the uh, wizard uh, well, in the South. You know, all of us are smuggling shoes, yeah. right? So. And I just talked to Tim Hortons <laughs> anyway, and passed Starbucks. Um, yeah. uh, there's something about Gord Downey that just resonates with Canadians. For you, it's not, a, it's not really... Uh, we have to rush through this a little bit okay. here because we want to give Absolutely. people details about how they can mm-hmm. bid on this. Mm-hmm. But... There's an emotional connection. Oh, well, the man was a magnificent musician. And uh, being a a jazz drummer uh, and growing up in the the jazz idiom, I found that, I said this to Gordon on three different occasions, I said, your sense of intonation and ad libdom is magnificent. It reminds me of a jazz guy. I mean, the song would start, the band's always in the pocket, and he's out there. And I've never seen, and I've produced some pretty big acts, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've never seen anybody take a stage and ad lib like that. It, 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 mind-blowing. Uh, the greatest front man ever to come out of Canada and a tremendous musician. Tremendous. So now let's tell people about this flag because there are a ton of Canadians out there oh, who would love yeah, to get their hands yeah. on this. So give us the details. It is up for auction until? 
June 29th at 7 p.m. And it starts today at 7 p.m. And people can go uh, directly to eBay at this point, looking for a Canadian flag or eBay.ca. Correct. Right? Yeah. And where would they, what would they put in the search bar? Canadian flag Gordowney auction, and it will come up. What are you, um, what are you hoping to raise? Um, I, I want to keep the, the momentum alive, I mean, um, uh, for his cause. And brain cancer research at Sunnybrook Foundation. So, all, as you know, all the funds are going towards that. And there's something else I'm working on uh, uh, that'll start really soon after we sign off on Tuesday and give them the check and all that. That'll announce, Christine, and I'll phone you first, of course. Um, I think it's important to keep. I can't think of any other artists. We have brilliant artists, but I don't think I can't. When I think of Canada. And he was so candid, and he, mm-hmm. in the way he passed in grace and what? bravado. Yeah. I mean, I've never who's ever experienced anything like that. So, to keep one of his causes alive, which is the one we're attached to, uh, I think it's just a magnificent thing to do. And I think he would be blown away by this. So, what are we thinking? We're thinking half a mil. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And if we don't get our price, maybe it'll be uh, you'll have to bid to hang it for a year and then we're going to take it back and somebody else can hang it for well, a year Christine. of course unless <laughs> unless oh no, this is magnificent unless that's why we're just here. unless justin trudeau decides well, to buy he, it he, for the whole country the museum i mean come on i mean mm-hmm. you're, you're doing your outreach is great by the way thank you mark and miriam higgins uh, what a pleasure to meet you what a what an honorable commendable thing to do thank you so much for joining us today and telling us all where we can spend some really good money for something really iconic. Thank you so much for having us. Your pleasure too. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half calf, half sweet, no foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is Christina Bizantz, the CEO of CHATS, a not-for-profit organization that currently supports more than 8,300 York Region and South Simcoe seniors and caregivers each and every year. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much for making the drive that was horrible with the traffic. It was I, I do understand. <laughs> First of all, tell our listeners what CHAT stands for. CHAT um, stands for Community and Home Assistance to Seniors, hence the, the CHATs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're an organization that has actually been around for almost 40 years now. And we serve all of York Region and South Simcoe. We're actually the largest community service organization uh, supporting seniors in, in this whole uh, region. Well, your mission is to support the health and the well-being of seniors and the caregivers at home and in the community. So how do you do that? Well, really, our objective is to provide the kinds of supports that enable seniors to live as independently, safely, and with dignity in their own homes as long as possible, avoiding hospitalization, avoiding unnecessary emergency room visits, and and also even um, sometimes delaying the admission or nece- necessity to uh, go to long-term care. In order to provide the kind of supports to the seniors and older adults that we serve as clients, we also support the caregivers because it's often the family caregivers Mm. 
who really shoulder the the burden and become overwhelmed with having to take care of their loved one, whether that's a parent, a spouse, a sibling, or or even a friend. So by providing support to the caregiver, we can also enable that senior to be able to stay in their own homes. So give us an idea how you would support a caregiver. We have a number of caregiver support programs. Um, We have counseling, one-on-one counseling. We have uh, caregiver workshops, um, group um, programs where they can come and uh, have a night out with other people who are experiencing similar challenges or or similar issues with having to care for a loved one, being feeling that that sense of of being overwhelmed. But it gives them a night to come together and just focus on themselves, focus on their own their own health and um, um, psychological, mental well being. But we also have a number of programs that provide what we call respite care. So either providing a personal support worker, what we call a PSW, Mm -hmm. to go into somebody's home and um, uh, care for them, bathe them, get them ready Mm -hmm. for for bed or or up in the morning um, to uh, provide a light meal, some light housekeeping, maybe do some laundry. So again, to give that respite or relief to to the caregiver and also support the senior. We also have a number of uh, programs, adult day programs, where our clients, the seniors, will come to Uh, one of our programs and spend the day with us they have activity, they're socially engaged, they have a, a nutritious meal. And meantime, the caregiver knows that for that day or however many days of the week that uh, the client participates in the adult day program, that the caregiver has a day to themselves either to go to work or maybe to get their own hair and nails done or, or right. shopping or whatever. That's It's a respite for, for the caregiver. This is becoming more and more of an issue for us because because the of the seniors population and people are living longer and we have really a sandwich generation we people do. who have mm-hmm. children to look after or still at home and parents and so you uh, you have a basket of services that in, that includes 14 different programs and services in 26 languages. I mean, you have in-home services, home safety services, support for caregivers, transportation Mm -hmm. services. So just, we've talked about caregiver um, um, support, but let's talk about a couple of the other ones. Well, one of our biggest programs, biggest uh, services that we have is our transportation program. And people may have seen our chats vans on the road. Right. Um, We have um, over 20 vehicles on the road, but we also have a number of uh, volunteers who provide drives to seniors. And, you know, you think of the independence and the importance of being able to uh, go to doctor's appointments and not rely on somebody else to be able to take you all the time or perhaps public transportation isn't feasible or available. So by providing transportation services to seniors, they get that sense of independence. They can go to uh, uh, medical appointments, they can go grocery shopping, they can attend programs such as the ones that Chats puts on. So it's that independence, but it's also making sure that people have a way of of getting out of their homes and and being socially engaged. So that's that's a big service that we have. Now let me ask you, you work with more than 300 staff members, um, more than 500 volunteers. Uh, what are those logistics like? That's like you know, almost 900 people to service more than 8,000. That's right. And I have to say, without those volunteers, um, they really are the lifeblood of of enabling chats to do as much as we do for over 8,000 people. And through the geography that we serve, I mean, if you think of everything oh. north of Steeles up to Georgina, Pefferlaw in the east and Alliston, uh, uh, New Tecumseh in the west, it's a huge geography and one that is not only very dense in terms of 
Vaughan, Richmond Hill, Markham, but a very rural community too. So our volunteers with our staff uh, enable us to reach out to so many people. Um, but it is it is demanding. And if any of your listeners have any time that they'd like to volunteer, we certainly encourage them to contact us because we could really, really use that support. So let me ask you, you, you've got staff members and volunteers. What does it cost for a senior to get help? Well, it depends on the program. We do have moderate fees for most of our programs. There are a few that are available at no charge to the client, but all of our fees fees are geared to income. And if uh, there's an instance where even a moderate fee is too much for a senior, we have a principle that says we don't turn anybody away. So we have exceptional subsidies in those instances. And that's, that's what our fundraising dollars go towards, to making sure that no senior um, won't have access to a CHATS program because of inability to pay. So does the government not contribute? Are you completely reliant on on the funds that you raise? No, we do receive uh, quite a bit of funding from the government, Mm -hmm. uh, from the Ministry of Health through the Central Local Health Integration Network. But never enough. But it's never enough. And certainly as the the seniors population is increasing so rapidly, and because of people wanting to stay in their homes as long as possible, and that really being the most effective way to support seniors, we do need more resources. And and hopefully that's something that will be recognized in in, uh, due course. How can people access your service? So if if I had a parent that needed help or... Well, they could uh, contact us at uh, 905-713-3373. That's our, our main line. Or they can email us at seniorshelp, all one word, at chats.on.ca. So seniorshelp at chats.on.ca. Or, of course, our website, www.chats.on.ca. .on.ca. How much of, uh, uh, is there a waiting list? Some of our programs do have waiting lists, and, and they're the ones where a referral from home and community care okay. is required. But many of our programs um, are, not, um, are not involving a wait list. So if somebody just contacts us, we design a care plan around the needs of the individual. Right. So when somebody calls to, to our office, they will be able to uh, have an assessment and see what kind of need they are need they have. So besides volunteering, very quickly, how uh, can people help support chats? Well, certainly any of our fundraisers. We have a golf tournament coming up on uh, September the 10th at Silver Lakes, and it starts at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, again, information is available on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an important fundraiser for us, and we have other events through the year as well. Well, that's wonderful. Christina Bizantz, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope uh, inspiring people who may have a little bit of time and want to make a difference in their community uh, because everybody's turn will come. <laughs> that's right. And and sometimes it comes a lot faster and more unexpectedly than people, people would wish for. So it's good to know in advance about chats. We're here to serve. Thank you so much for Thank joining. you, Christine. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. And figure it out. We've got 
listening to is Duct Tape by Mississauga singer-songwriter Gabri. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you for having me. Now, tell us how you got started in the music industry. Um, well, I started singing when I was little, but I didn't actually care that much. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor for a long time. Oh. Yeah. And it upset my mom because she was like, no, you got a nice voice. And I didn't really care until I started songwriting when I was in about grade eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but How did that happen? I was writing songs, so I used to do Hannah Montana fan fiction, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started writing songs for my Hannah Montana fan fiction, and that's how I kind of got into it, and then I started writing songs about my actual life, and as they got more personal, um, I actually started getting into the idea of being a singer-songwriter, and then once I got a little bit older and a little bit more confident in myself, I started releasing them on SoundCloud, and then I met Igor, and uh, he started producing songs for me, and it was, yeah, that's kind of the whole story. That's great. Um, You're releasing your debut EP, also called Duct Tape. Mm -hmm. What's the meaning behind that title? (laughs) I think people hear it and go, uh, hmm? (laughs) Um, Well, for the song, Duct Tape was about um, a boyfriend that I had that broke up with me who wasn't really telling me why he broke up with me. So I was trying to say that, you know, I know it's hard for you to tell me, but if you just let me take off the duct tape from your mouth... You could give me closure, that kind of thing. Um, But I named my album after that because I kind of felt like I had duct tape over my mouth for a long time because um, I am a little bit of an anxious person, so I didn't really want to tell people how I was feeling, and that's why I didn't really want to release my songs. But now that I'm doing that, the duct tape's kind of coming off. So what are the themes that the EP explores then? Um, It's mostly about a romantic relationship that I had. Um, All three songs are about that same relationship. And it just kind of goes through, like, the beginning, the middle, and the end of it. Um, And at the beginning, it's very optimistic. But um, I don't think I ever really got what I needed from him in terms of uh, communication. And that's something that's very important for me. Because if uh, somebody doesn't tell me how they're feeling, then I'm going to overthink it. So, What's next for you? Um, I definitely want to do another EP. I want to advance my sound. So this one's a little bit more... Uh, loud and kind of more rock influenced. I think I want to go a little bit softer with the next one just to kind of explore um, my sound and yeah, where I'm going with it. Where can people find you online and listen to the single? Um, online, I'm heaviest on Instagram. So it's Gabri Band. So it's G A B R I E Band. Mm-hmm. And then um, the single you can listen to on Spotify, on Google Play, Apple Music, iTunes, anywhere pretty much. And it's under Gabri. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. That's it for what she said this weekend. And we will be back next Saturday and Sunday at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. But now, singing us out, here is Gabri performing Duct Taped. I could do without the door that everybody points me to And I'm no fool, I know it's there But closing isn't leaving you Your silence is the string between the cracks That is holding me back Your silence is the string that stitches up the skin You're broken in, the more I pull, the more I break It's safe to say I'm suffering Is this for my own good? I don't think it's working out And I, I Love to hold our love in this frame But these questions are taking up the space They're taking up the space If you've got duct tape over your mouth Just look at me right and I'll figure it out We've got no time left But I'll work in reverse for you And I won't rip it off I know that'll hurt I'll pull so gently I finally sleep tonight I thought this war I played along I found it hard, this heart's at wrong I'm keeping peace open for love Now standing where I can't get shot down I don't need the history I just need to know this now And I, I, I Would love to hold our love in this frame But these questions are taking up the space They're taking up the space If you've got duct tape over your mouth Just look at me right and I'll figure it out We've got no time left but I 
finally sleep tonight Nobody knows me better than you If this was war, this would be a very smart move But you're a prisoner, you must be prisoner You can't be killing her, you can't be killing her If you've got duct tape over your mouth Just look at me right and I'll figure it out It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.